broadcasting worldwide on internet radio. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. It's the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Now, here's Mark and Matt. Welcome, everyone, to the Refresh Your Wealth podcast with Matt Sorensen and Mark Kohler. Mark Kohler is out on assignment today. Uh, sounds very official, I know. Uh, he's in Chicago, I think, speaking at the Business Owners Workshop. So that's Mark's uh, annual workshop. He's doing it all around the country. Go check him out. See the man, the myth, the legend in person. Um, you can learn more at markjkohler.com. And I hope he appreciates all this advertising I'm giving for him. But I am joined by uh, the co-host, uh, substitute teacher, Jerem Burgesson from KQS Lawyers. Um, Jerem, I like to make sure everyone knows this when he comes on as he does guest host often. Uh, he does have a bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism. So he's pretty good. I, I always appreciate you upping the pressure by mentioning that every time I'm on. So you <laughs> and Mark both do that. So thank you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, if you wanted to know whether a college degrees are worth it or not, you know, you can judge at the end of this podcast if Jerem got his money's worth. So, uh, <laughs> the answer well, to that is almost certainly no, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, no, Jerem is an excellent lawyer in the, in the firm has a number of expertise, um, really past Mark and I, and this is going to be one today on trademarks. So the topic we'll be talking about today is protecting intellectual property, namely trademarks. Um, that's one of the most common forms of intellectual property people will use in their business to protect their name or slogans or marketing, catchphrases, things like that. We will dive into that with Cherim um, and talk about the process and why it's important and um, how to make sure you've uh, done it properly. So um, Jerem, any, uh, any previews, anything you want to give on trademarks before we... Uh, before we leave that interest, I don't know. I'm just trying to give an exciting preview. Uh, well, you know, tr trademarks, you know, they're, they're more exciting than a lot of the other uh, parts <laughs> of the law. Um, you know, cool, cool slogans and names, Just Do It by Nike and, you know, all kinds yeah. of stuff. Uh, the, the, the Ohio State University trying to trademark the word the. Um, okay. So there's, there's kind of interesting stuff that, that happens in trademarks. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. And Kawhi Leonard, I brought him up recently. You know, he's got his trademark battle, I think. I don't know if that's resolved. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and yeah. of course, you know, you've got the, um, you see the, these little TMs on things and the little R with the, on, you know, products. And I mean, it's on the freaking cereal box in the morning. Um, right. And those are trademarks, right? Those, those little symbols are signifying right. a trademark. Right. And when you're a trademark attorney, people will say, you'll hear in everyday conversation, hey, man, you should trademark that. And my initial thought is always, no, you can't. No, or, <laughs> or yeah, maybe you could. Uh, so it's, it's kind of an interesting thought that goes through my head. Hey, that's so cool. You should trademark that. No, you're not going to be able to. Yeah. Most people are like, yeah, cool, man. Jeremy's brain's like, oh, is that legal or not? I don't know. That probably wouldn't pass. It's probably too generic of a term. Yeah, is that, it's, is that it's distinguishable or not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty descriptive. I don't think it's going to pass muster. 
Yeah. And we'll get into that. So we'll get into how to know whether your business name or slogan or product name could be trademarked or not. We'll kind of give you some, some guidelines there to think that through. So, um, but before we get into the main event um, and discussing trademarks, uh, one of the key intellectual property rights out there, before we get into that, we like to give a tax and legal tip. And um, Jeremy, I think I'm going to let you go first. You had a legal tip. A legal tip that you can actually use. A legal tip where you don't feel like you have to take a shower after. I do. I, my legal tip is, is this. I've run into probably two or three people in the last week or so talking to them about their business entity structures um, and that they own their LLC or their corporation in their own name. Um, and they, they say, hey, you know, when I die, right, they're married. This will just go directly to my spouse. No, no question, right? And the answer to that is maybe. Probably it will, but it'll have to go through the probate process. Almost certainly your interest, your ownership in your, in your company is an asset that has to be probated if, it owns in your, if you own it in your own name. That means there's going to be an actual lawsuit filed by your spouse or your kids, whoever your heirs are that say, hey, dad's dead. Here's his, here's his will. Here's his death certificate. Um, we should be named as owners of his company so that we can deal with it. Um, that process takes time and money and, and can be a, a pretty big headache. Um, the way to, to avoid that or, or the best way to avoid that um, is to own your, your ownership interest in your business, LLC, corporation, or otherwise in the name of a revocable living trust. Um, that way, when you die, the trust that owns your business entity didn't die. It continues to exist. Mm -hmm. uh, you've named a, a successor trustee in that trust that is going to distribute that that ownership as you tell them to in the in the language of the trust, um, but they're going to be able to do that without anybody having to go through the time and the headache and the expense of of that probate lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. Well, great tip. And for many of the business owners out there, even those those of you that may have an LLC that owns a rental property, whether or it's an operating business. Um, just keep that in mind that, you, you know, when you pass away and it's going to happen, whether you like it or not, uh, that day will come, uh, that business is going to get passed on through a court process unless you plan for it effectively with a trust. So, um, and the right. trust is not hard to do and your spouse can right. be the successor trustee or one of your kids. Right. You don't have to go right. hire a big service or bank or trust company to do that necessarily. So it's pretty, right. it can be pretty streamlined. Right. And I always tell people, I don't care when you do it, as long as you do it before you die. But because yeah. you don't know when that's going to be, <laughs> maybe, maybe you should think about doing it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good tip. I like that. Um, all right. Well, since uh, Mark is, you know, um, out playing hooky today, I am going to give the tax tip. A tax tip you can actually understand and won't put you to sleep. A tax tip that could save you thousands. All right. Now, the tax tip I want to give today is about one of my favorite things, the Roth IRA. And Mark and I have talked about that a lot. It's a big strategy. Um, we did an analysis at Directed IRA where we set up self-directed IRAs of our clients. And Roth IRAs comprise more account dollars than any other retirement account. Um, and accounts that we hold at Directed IRA. And we're, you know, you know we have over a thousand accounts now and it's 
interesting to find how um, many of our clients have been attracted to the Roth IRA and have, and have had success with it. So I just want to give a tip for those that don't have one yet and that are in the traditional IRA camp and are thinking about, you know, converting. That is the operative word, you know. Um, it's not a religious process. We're just talking about a tax. It's a tax process here of conversion. Um, but if you've mentally made the decision to convert to the Roth side of the, you know, the, to the Roth people, um, you're going to go through a tax process and it's called conversion. Now, the cool thing about converting to Roth is if you have a traditional IRA, or even if you got a traditional 401k and a solo K or, or your current job, you can convert to Roth. There used to be an income restriction on this, and a lot of people still have this, this misnomer out there, this, uh, this mistaken belief that they cannot convert to Roth if they're high income. That is no longer true. You can convert to Roth no matter your income, whenever the heck you want. So let me give you a couple reasons why you may want to convert to Roth. <clears throat> the first, this is the no-brainer one. If you've got a really amazing investment coming down the pipeline that you can make a lot of money on in a big return, don't do it in your traditional account where you're going to grow your account and pay way more tax coming out on the back end on a larger sum. Convert it at the smaller amount now. Pay the tax to convert it now. Let's say you have a $100,000 account that you can put into a deal that'll make you $300,000. Well, you'd be insane to not convert that to Roth, right? A huge return like that. You'd rather pay tax on 100 grand now in traditional, convert it to Roth, invest it as Roth, and now have a $300,000 Roth account. Now, and we, I see clients do that, that get a sweet little detail uh, tied up or an investment that they see that they know is going to be great, and they'll convert to Roth on the front end before going into it and then come back out of it um, with a large gain. Now, many of us don't get those sweetheart deals and don't get those pitches right down the middle, so to speak, that we can hit out of the park um, and we're stuck doing base hits. Now that's cool too. You, if you've, you know, you've got a lot of runway left in your life, maybe you're in your forties and you're investing or your early fifties, you've got a long time left before you're pulling money out of that account still. Um, if you're just making a lot of base hits and growing the account, just think of where your account growth will be in 20 years and, um, you know, kind of doing some time, so to speak right now, or, you know, putting in the time, I should say, uh, paying some tax and converting now so that you can have the benefit of um, tax-free distributions later as the account is larger as a Roth. The other instance I would say to do it is we've had clients that are in their 60s even that are like starting to get lower income, they got more stability, but they don't want to pull money out of their traditional account and they want to convert just to keep it to Roth and they may be coming up on RMD at which they were in a traditional IRA where you, where you have to start pulling money out at 70 and a half. So some of those people are saying, oh, let me just convert. I don't want to worry about RMD. I want to keep my account invested. I like the idea of Roth anyways, and I'll just pay some tax now. So just a couple ideas on when to think about converting to Roth. Remember, you can do it at any time. If you want it to be in the 2019 tax year for your 2019 tax return, you want to do it by December 31st. Um, many people also will say, oh, I'll wait till January 1st, and let's put it on the 2020 tax return. You can also chunk it, as Mark and I have talked about over the years, doing half in 19 and the other half in 20, or do it in thirds or fourths, whatever, you know, do, do it in pieces so you can bear the tax burden uh, over time. So um, just one more plug, and you'll hear many from us on the Roth IRA 
it is the only way to legally make money and keep all of it in the United States, the Roth IRA. So think about it. All right. Um, I don't know, Matt, Matt, I want to get baptized into the church of Roth now. Yes. That was was really good. Thank you. Well, I've, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. So (laughs) I've, I've been worshiping the Roth for years. So there you go. Um, And, and I'll have to say this too. I started out traditional and I've, Correct. I've been making the painful move and I've been doing the backdoor Roth too. I've been making the painful move. It hurts. Believe me. Um, you know, I, but I know in, and I always tell clients this five, 10 years from now, I'm going to be so grateful I did it. Um, so as, as many good things that are hard to do, uh, you know, that, that is how it works. It's not, you're not going to be loving it today, but in the right. future it'll pay off and it'll benefit you. Right, a little pain now for a, a much bigger payoff later. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's dive into the main topic and talk about trademarks. Um, Jared, maybe you can just define what a trademark is and maybe distinguish it in general from a patent or a copyright or some of the other things people can sometimes get confused. Right, right. And, and that, that's a good distinction because I'll, I'll get people on the phone that say, I need a, a copyright. And what they really need is a trademark, or they'll say you need a trademark, and what they really need is a copyright or, or a patent. Mm-hmm. A tra- trademark registration is just a, a it's a federal piece of, do- uh, of paper, it's a document that says that you have exclusive use of a name or a slogan or a logo that identifies the source of your goods or products, or excuse me, goods or services that you sell. So, like mm-hmm. I, I, I mentioned a second ago, you know, Nike has a, uh, a trademark for that swoosh symbol so that when mm-hmm. you see that swoosh on a pair of sneakers or a shirt or whatever, or the services that maybe that they, that they provide, you know that the origin, the source of those products is Nike. Uh, the name mm-hmm. Nike is, is, is certainly trademarked because that, that identifies the source of the products. So that, that's what a trademark is. A trademark is a name, a slogan, a logo that identifies the source of the the goods or services. Yeah. Now like, go ahead. Maybe the design of the shoe or something that they had some, you know, I don't know, Nike air or some, I don't know if they have some patents or things on their shoes or, pro- or materials. They right. probably do. They probably do. Some of that technology um, and processes may be patented. Right. Technology, inventions, certain processes that are novel. Um, there, there's a whole list of um, requirements for patents, non-obvious, um, you know, not derivative from something else. But if you've got, uh, yeah. Nike didn't invent the sneaker, but if they did, they could have a patent on the sneaker. Um, mm-hmm. There's patents on, you know, probably golf clubs or, you know, golf ball designs that Nike uses, you know, or right. those, those sorts of things are patentable. Um, uh, and that patent process is very involved and very long. And uh, attorneys who want to do it have to take a whole separate uh, bar exam and, and have a background in some sort of technology or you know, biology or engineering in, in order to be able to, to do that. Um, so that's the one of these that we don't do at the law firm, because as you mentioned earlier, my background is in broadcast journalism. So I, I will not, I will not be doing patents. And I, yeah. I, I, have, I have a great referral for 
folks who, who need that. Uh, but, but that's what a patent is. And then kind of keeping along the same lines, a copyright is a protection for a fixed um, or an idea, the expression of an idea in a fixed medium like print or um, recording, sound recordings, video recordings. Um, the example I give, I, I think I've given it on the, the show before, but it's been a few months, like an NFL broadcast. The broadcast, the pictures, the sound, the descriptions, the NFL has a copyright on that. They have yeah. a trademark on the logos on the team's helmets and the NFL shield logo at the middle of, on the middle of the field. There are probably patents that go into the technology of the helmet or the shoulder pads that are used by the players in that game. Mm -hmm. Of course, just so you guys know, Jerem is always going to use a sports example where appropriate. If you're, yeah, exactly. not a, if you're not a sports fan and you don't understand that stuff, um, you're out of luck. I don't know what to tell you. So. I, I, I have no other original ideas. So yeah, that's where it comes. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, those are excellent examples. And I always love the one, you know, um, the baseball one, you know, this uh, broadcast not to be used without the express written consent of major league baseball. And I'm right. sure that the NFL has their little disclaimer. They too, do. They have the same, yeah, very similar one. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's focus in on trademarks. I think that's the one most business owners will obtain first or right. will use in a business, particularly a product or service business. Now, if, again, if you have some novel inventions or products or new things you're doing, you may want to look down the patent um, realm of things. If you're certainly in a technology space or engineering or scientific field, biomed, whatever, you're, you're going to be in that world and will need resources. But every business can really should really be considering a trademark um, when do you tell someone a business owner or what types of business owners would you say should be using a trademark and should look into this versus just and, a regular business owner right and I, I i get that question a lot or you know we we deal with a lot of as uh, our listeners know real estate investors and so i've had people that you know they're going to set up an llc to own their rental properties and, they, and they'll ask me, well, should I trademark the name of my LLC that's going to own my rental? And my answer is pretty much invariably, no, I don't see a reason mm -hmm. to do that. You're not competing with other people that own rental properties. You're not, you're not marketing your name. It's just the name of your business that you've got that's owned in your rental properties for asset protection reasons. So there's not a, there's not a value really in the trademark uh, in trademarking the name of a, of a business that's just going to own an asset. Um, right. It's, it's typically an operational business. We're providing a service or selling a product under this name. So the name of the business or the name of the product. When you get to the point where you feel like, hey, if someone else sold a similar product or a similar service under this name or something really close to it, that would for lack of a better term, stuck really bad for me, that's, yeah. when, that's when it's time, and, and maybe a little bit before that, but certainly at that time, you want to you know, get on the stick about filing for trademark protection with the federal mm -hmm. government. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good example. The real estate client is one that probably doesn't need that, um, at least in the real estate investment space. Maybe you're a real estate broker, though, or somebody, and you're like, hey, I'm building a brand. I want other agents operating underneath of it. Underneath it. All right, you may want to consider a trademark because you're building a brand and an identity, whereas a real estate investor owning rental properties or even flipping properties, 
it's XYZ LLC. It's on a document, a contract, a deed. It's right. on paperwork. You don't care. You're not out there trying to build a brand necessarily. Um, right. Some some may be, but that's very certainly much more, much less common. It's pretty it's pretty rare. Whereas you're right, the real estate broker that you know I want to be your guy in this area for for real estate services. That's a different story. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you've got a name that you want to make sure nobody else can kind of um, you know knock off. Yeah. And yes, that's a name. It doesn't have to be a name, a logo too, a name, a logo, mm-hmm. a slogan, um, a, a motto that you want, you want to make sure is associated exclusively, at least in, in that industry with you and your business. That's yeah. what a trademark is for. Why don't you give us some examples of types of businesses or industries? You don't have to give us the names of these companies, but maybe the types of businesses or industries they operated in where you've done trademarks recently. Um, I, you know, I used to do trademarks back in the day before, um, Jerem kind of surpassed me and started doing more of them and kind of has the expertise now I should say. So, but, um, I mean, I, I did a number in, um, the food service industry. I think I did some, actually I did a real estate broker brokerage. Yeah, um, I have two online, online businesses that, that were kind of resellers of products online, but were trying to build a brand for their, their site. Um, what are some of the ones you've kind of done? I've done some for uh, people in the jewelry business um, I can okay. think of I've, I, that, that sell certain types of jewelry. I've actually done a few in, in that. I've done a company that sells uh, blankets, um, really, really nice blankets. Okay, um, cool. uh, you know, that, so that, that was, that was kind of interesting. A lot of those sort of online services, um, a lot of them related to real estate, um, yeah. you know, real estate brokers, real estate, um, you know, listing services, that sort of thing. Um, I, I, I did, I did one for somebody who does, um, casino events so not actual not an actual casino but you want to do a casino game night for your graduation or prom or whatever they'll put it on and they they i've seen their website they do really cool stuff um mm-hmm. but they, they they had a name um that they wanted to trademark um hvac services i've done one in that in that industry recently as well okay. uh self-directed ira custodians so like jeremy did directed uh, yeah. ira and That's then right. that their one. slogan take control of your retirement um, so, uh, yeah, so there's, um, so hopefully that gives you a good idea of the types of businesses that are doing these trademarks. I think one of the kind of no brainers where we've talked about kind of the real estate investor owning rental properties or flipping properties may not care as much, but on the other end, I think more of the online business where you may have a national presence, you're more concerned about consistency of your name and brand, a URL and everything you're building around that name, you know, that name may be in your URL, your you know, name.com. Um, so much more important and I think valuable uh, in that realm. And, and I, I would say the, co- the consequences of being too late with your trademark application are worse than being too early. You can be too early. If you're too early, it just means mm-hmm. you, you rushed out there and you, you, you did a trademark application, but then that product or service or business just never really took off. And you wasted a little bit of time and money uh, in filing a trademark application. So what you're out is the time and money. Yeah. If you wait too long, then maybe somebody else gets in with an application and a registration before you. You get people that are using it in other locations. 
maybe geographically that are that are separate from yours that you're not able to um, get to stop even once you get your trademark registration. Um, mm-hmm. So so there is sort of a sweet spot where it makes the most sense, but. Uh, airing on the side of too early is probably better than uh, uh, airing on the side of being too late. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about um, how to qualify. Uh, maybe qualify is the wrong word. Um, what can be trademarked versus what cannot? Give me a, maybe an example of, uh, of a one you may have heard of or had questions on, or just even give you know, an example, whatever, of one that that's not going to get trademarked versus something that, would get trademarked and and who approves that and what's that process yeah so only names and logos that are at least suggestive so there's there's like five categories of of possible trademarks there are generic trademarks like i'm looking at my desk soda for soda well you can't (laughs) trademark something that is generic that that is its name Mm -hmm. Um, you can't trademark something that is merely descriptive or, or, you know, talks about a quality of the product. So if I tried to say, well, I can't trademark soda, how about sweet soda? Well, no, that just describes Mm -hmm. an an element of the soda, if it is indeed sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, so which most of them are, uh, so, (laughs) so that, that doesn't, that doesn't really work either. Then what about? Go ahead. What about Jerem's sweet soda? Well, and and that that's that's an interesting case too. Um, individual names um, are hard to get trademarks for as well. Although my name is so weird, maybe I could. There's only there's only a handful yeah. of us, so so maybe I could. But Matt's sweet soda, you're probably out of luck. Just adding your name to it, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a given name, a, a human's name. Um, wouldn't really wouldn't really work um and then once you go up from there the line so those types of trademark generic you're not going to get a trademark descriptive trademarks so maybe sweet soda although that's awfully generic too but something that just sort of describes what it is that you're providing um you know uh, in a very descriptive way obviously Mm -hmm. um that in some cases you can get a registration on a, an auxiliary um, uh, register, the, which is called the supplemental register. Which then, if you use the mark for five years and you can show that it's it's acquired some distinctiveness in the marketplace, you can get moved up to what's called the principal register, which is where you want to be. Um, so mm-hmm. descriptive marks can can get there. Um, the line where you start to be able to be on the principal register from the get-go, which is where you're going to get the full protections of the statute, um, is if the mark is suggestive. And that, that line between what's descriptive and suggestive is where lo- trademark um, prosecutors uh, make their money, mm-hmm. uh, or at least a, a big part of where they make their money in, in kind of de- arguing where that line is, because sometimes it's frankly a little weird, a little arbitrary where the USPTO dra- draws that line. Um, but that's where, where the mark suggests what the product is, but it doesn't describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fanciful and arbitrary. Arbitrary is Apple for computers. Mm-hmm. That, that, that made no sense. It was just arbitrary when it was, when it was initially filed for. So that totally works. And then yeah. fanciful is where you just make something up. 
just a brand new word that didn't exist before, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, you know, Google didn't, right. I don't think existed before. That is a, that is a, a fanciful trademark. Yeah. Now an Apple, for example, if Apple was a seller of apples, that would not have gotten approved. Yeah. No, and so no, no dice. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Apple for fruit. No Apple for computers. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they, when you file a trademark application, you will designate what industry does your company operate. So when Apple computers filed that, they would say, Hey, we're in the computer um, IT tech space and, and right, that they right. get trademark protection there. If they filed in the, you know, agriculture space, they probably would have got rejected. Right. You, part of your application is you identify what goods or services you are selling or will be selling or offering under that trademark. So yes, I'm Apple, I'm sure at the time it was you know, computer hardware and software and whatever else at that yeah. time. So, okay. Now you've mentioned the USPTO. So that is the governing body that will give you the trademark protection. They give you a fancy certificate if you get approved. Yep. And um, and they're kind of the uh, judge and jury, so to speak, right? If yeah. <laughs> when you submit the application, yeah. um, uh, how long does that process take? You know, you've got to fill out an application, you apply for the mark, you give some information. What's the timeline on that and cost? Yeah. So in terms of um, the time, well, let's go with the cost first. Um, the filing fees with the USPTO are $225 per class of goods or services that you're, you're filing your application for. There are about 50 classes of goods or services, and then there are thousands of product and service descriptions under those 50 classes. So if somebody files for computer software and t-shirts, you know, because they're going to sell t-shirts with that same name, then that's two classes and their filing fee would be four, $450. Mm -hmm. Our fee, if I'm gonna do a trademark, I typically charge $750 for my time in doing the research to see if the name is available because we've got to research and see if there are conflicts out there, whether the name's gonna be available on the, on the, uh, to be used on the principal registers, so whether it's suggestive or, or descriptive or fanciful or whatever, you know, on that, on that. Um, sliding scale of those um, and then actually filing the application um, sending all the information that the USPTO needs and then you know answering a lot of times the USPTO will say hey this looks good but you need to change how you describe the logo or you know give us a different specimen that shows the the mm -hmm. mark being used on a product and so that includes my time in in, in doing those things so typically somebody's going to be looking at around a thousand dollars maybe more if they're in multiple classes of goods or services. Um, yeah. But that's, that, that's a typical fee. In terms of time, turnaround time, we are talking about the federal government here. So nothing, <laughs> nothing goes real fast. Yeah. Uh, once we file an application, um, we won't hear back from the USPTO, good or bad, for three to four months. Um, even if it's sailing through, the next step is that the the mark gets published for opposition in a in a it used to be an actual printed document called the USPTO official gazette now it's just done online yeah. um, but people have 30 days to to object to your trademark and say hey it conflicts with mine um, and then it's another matter of like i think six to eight weeks after that, that you'll actually get your trademark registration if nobody opposes your trademark. Mm -hmm. um, 
in it. So in a best case scenario, maybe six, seven months from application to final registration document. If you're having to go back and forth and argue with the USPTO on whether it's descriptive or not, or whether there's an actual conflict or not, you know, it can take a year, 18 months. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Let's talk about um, slogans or, or sorry, let's talk about logos. Let's, let's focus on that. Um, okay. When should I think about doing a logo? Like maybe my name um, is in my logo, right? Most businesses have their name with right. the logo. Um, right. Do, how do I do that? Can I get my logo protected? Let's say, you know, Pepsi, the, the word Pepsi is, you know, right. trademark, but what about right. all the, the red, white, and blue, the little, you know, right. little design with it? How does that, how does that work? Is that protected? It, it, it is right. It is, it is, it is separate. Sometimes a logo will include a name. Um, you're going to get some protections for the name with the logo. Um, most big um, companies out there have a, a separate trademark for their, their name and then the logo, whether it includes the name or not. Um, they don't have to do it that way, but it, they, it gives them additional protection. So they do it. Um, so the logo to me, in most cases, right? for somebody starting a business, almost always the name is more important than the logo because you may change yeah. your logo down the road. You may change the way that it looks. So when somebody says, oh, I only got enough money to do one, um, should I do a name or a logo, especially if the logo doesn't include the name, do the name. Mm -hmm. um, but if you've got a logo that you just love, you know, or that is just completely recognizable you think it's going to be completely recognizable like the arches you know the golden arches at mm -hmm. McDonald's. that that that's that is definitely a trademark logo where where even more than or just as much as the name that logo identifies yeah. you and and is a huge part of your brand um you don't want somebody to be able to knock off the logo um, when they have a completely different name so that that's that's the point where the logo becomes important Okay. Um, all right. What now? I, there's a little bit of follow up, and this is maybe for those of you that have a trademark to keep in mind, or those of you who may obtain one. There is some follow up after you obtain it. Let's say I, you know, uh, I have a something that is trademarkable. It gets approved. I get my fancy certificate from the USPTO. Um, there's a little bit of follow up that happens. I think it was what, three or five years down the road. There's some follow up yeah. to do to maintain that, right? What is that process? Yeah, you have to file a renewal um, at the five year mark, between five and six years after the date of registration. You file a renewal with the USPTO, and you can file at the same time a declaration of incontestability. I'm not going to get into specifically what that is, but you want to do it. It's just additional strength for your trademark mm -hmm. that you file between the fifth and sixth year. Um, you then have another re renewal between the 10th and 11th year, and then it's every 10 years after that. Okay. So for those of you that do have a trademark and we do help clients try to track these um, and have a service, you know, where you can, we can help you know, you, you can pay us a fee to, to do these yep. um, and help renew. So um, just, just keep yeah. that in mind. There is a little bit of follow-up on this. It's not every year like your entity or anything like that, but it, you know, every five years, it's just, frankly, it's long enough for you to forget about it. Yeah, um, and it is, it is. And I've been doing these with the firm long enough. I'm starting to do these five, six-year renewals. Uh, they come up and they come to me, which is nice because I filed the application. 
they come to me and I let the client know, Hey, here's, here's what's going on. Here's what you need to do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, all right. What's let's go over like, how do I enforce it? Let's say I've got a trademark now. Um, someone's out using my name or my slogan. What protections do I have and what's the process in enforcing that? Like now I've got this that I knew protects me, but right. You know, what can it do for me? Right. So in, in terms of, of enforcing your trademark to a certain extent, and it's a small extent, I don't know if I want to say this the right way. The USPTO will help you in this a little bit. And where they help you is if somebody else comes in and files a trademark application that conflicts with yours, they'll tell them mm. no, it'll get rejected. Yeah. So you, you get a little help when people are filing for their own applications, but if, if somebody, or for their own registrations, but if somebody is just using your name and they're not necessarily, or, or a similar name for similar products, and they're not filing for a trademark, you kind of need to be on the lookout for that. Not kind of, you need to be. Um, so you need to be mm-hmm. doing, you know, Google searches and looking for other people using your name or using thing, you know, a similar name so that if they are infringing on your trademark, you can send them a nasty letter maybe to start with, you know, a, a, a cease and desist letter that says you got to stop um, or I'm going to sue you for trademark infringement. And if they don't stop, then you probably need to sue them for trademark infringement because if you fail to do so, you can you can lose you know you after a certain amount of time if it's hey I've been using it and you haven't enforced your mark, yeah. um, you can you can lose those protections by by failing to um, defend your trademark. Yeah, and you can recover your attorney's fees. I mean, there's a lot of protections in there yeah. that put you in a really strong strong position to go enforce and. Many people, when they hear you have a trademark, are going to freak out and stop use um, yeah. unless they have a really good case on why they think they can use it. Right. So, um, a, a big one is statutory damages, which means there's an amount of damages in the statute that you don't have to prove. If you just prove, hey, you infringed on my trademark, I don't have to prove in, unless I want to go for more than the statutory damages. But I don't have to prove how much it damaged me. I can get x amount whatever's in the statute per violation and that that number i think it's like fifty thousand dollars per violation it starts to add up quick and so that is a huge advantage of your you don't get those if if you're suing for common law trademark infringement when you're when you're suing for trademark infringement under the statute then all you have to prove is infringement you don't even have to prove damages which is huge that's a lot of lawyer speak but it's a big deal yeah, and that's another reason for those that may have a national business they may be looking to do, whether it's, you know, one person in their bedroom with an online business or, you know, someone with greater aspirations is um, going through the trademark process on your name is really important to start off your business anyways, because you'll find whether your name is going to be not only available to you, but whether you're going to infringe on anybody, right? Right. And so if I just set up my entity in XYZ, you know, in the state I'm in and, you know, that does a search for that state, at least I'm, I'm, you know, but someone may have a trademark out there cause they're not registered in that state, but they have a trademark for the nation and, and you kind of walk into that. Now for a lot of businesses, it doesn't matter again, but again, if you were ha- wanting to have this national presence, um, right. doing that trademark process also f- helps you go through and determine 
other people that may actually have that name or where you could be infringing if you kind of, you know, and, and you'd have to stop and waste all that time and effort and changing the name and, oh my gosh, what a pain. Right, right, definitely. Um, okay, uh, any uh, stories, good or bad, you want to share to kind of help put this into context for everybody in terms of trademarks and, um, and how they're used and why you should think about getting one? One thing I want to throw out there, I think we've sort of alluded to it, but I just want to make sure is is clear, is your trademark, let's say you trademark whatever name you trademark, um, that you're getting that for your goods and services and for goods and services that are what the USPTO calls confusingly similar um, to, to those goods or services. So if I have the name... Jerem's just saying I can get a trademark for that for uh, or Jerem for legal services. Somebody could get that same trademark for something completely unrelated to that, to if selling hamburgers or something like that. The, the the example I always use is Delta Airlines and Delta Faucets both have trademarks because they 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 both for Delta uh, because they are completely providing completely different things so you, you can't stop anyone from ever using that name ever but yeah. you can for something that is confusingly similar to what it doesn't have to be the exact product or service you're you're yeah. selling but it has to be similar yeah that's a good example the uh, delta airlines delta faucets you could also consider the uh Kohler urinals and ah. Kohler cpa services Kohler or, you know, yeah <laughs> yes yes mark cannot stop the Kohler people uh, with their faucets although he might I guess yeah he might yeah want. yeah um uh, i always tell me i'm you know i always remember of you when i walk right up to a urinal your name's right <laughs> on it so <laughs> um all right well um okay well that was excellent um very helpful i think um you know, for under a thousand bucks, you can essentially get your name trademarked. Um, again, it's not for everybody, but if you have a national presence or you have a unique name or product or service you want to build um, a brand around, it's really critical to think about the trademark and get one filed. Um, Jerem can be reached at Jerem, J-A-R-O-M, at kkoslawyers.com or just call the law firm and you can get an appointment with him to go over your trademark situation and um, see whether it's something that can be filed or not. And if you pay for a consult with Jerem and he decides, yep, that's going to work as a trademark, you can apply that maybe 30-minute consult, whatever you did that, that right. towards the setup of the trademark too. Right. Um, okay. Any other things people should know about trademarks before we sign off here? Probably, but uh, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave it there for, for now. <laughs> Oh, yes, in this limited time. Um, yes. All right, well, is there any other places for resources people should go? I knew we have some articles on the blog at kqslawyers.com on trademarks in the past. Um, any other places you'd want to send people to? The, yeah, other than that, you, you might want to go to um, the USPTO web, website, uspto.gov. has a lot of good information. It's really boring because it's from a, a, a government source, but it is good information. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, excellent, Jeremy. We'll really appreciate you filling in for Mark Kohler. I think that broadcast journalism degree was money well spent. I don't know if the school gets the credit or not, but uh, uh, really good, helpful information today. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it, Matt. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for being with us. We'll be back, of course, next week with another amazing episode of the Refresh Your Wealth podcast. Mark Kohler will be back. Um, so, uh, 
please tune in next week. Go to refreshyourwealth.com to sign up for our newsletter to learn about important tax tips and deadlines, get our blog articles, and learn about upcoming show announcements. And if you like the show, if you are still listening, if you like the show, <laughs> I know you do, give us a five-star review on, on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. We really appreciate it. It makes us feel good and it also helps other people find the show. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thanks for listening to another hour of refreshing strategies to better live your American dream. Don't forget to get your free copy of Mark and Matt's eBooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Refresh Your Wealth.